Hello and welcome everybody to the Gaming Moguls Podcast, your aspirational gaming podcast, the only one where you still own a copy of Seafarers of Catan, yet you've stolen all the boats to put inside your copy of Indonesia. I'm Mark Teske, everybody, and this is my millennial friend, Mr. Jake Klopfenstein. Hi, Mark. How are you doing today? I'm well, Jake. How are you today? I'm doing wonderfully. It is snowy in Minneapolis, so we don't have to go outside. We can just stay inside and play games all week. Um, did you actually play any games this weekend, Mark? I mean, I know the answer to that. <laughs> yeah, considering a bunch of them were with you. Um, I did. I actually, once a year, a couple, actually a couple of times a year, hold a buddy con with about 20 of my good friends uh, called D19 Con, and that was this weekend. And during the course of that, I had uh, just literally two straight days of gaming and got a lot of different things in. So plenty to talk about that. How about you, Jake? Absolutely. was able to play a little bit with you this past weekend and a bunch of great people this weekend at D19Con. And then I got a couple of games in with my lovely fiance this week. To start off, I played Codenames Duet, which is a two-player version of just Codenames. It was okay. Nothing to write home about. You get anything good played besides what I played with you this weekend? Absolutely. You finally had a chance to introduce me to Keyforge, which we're not going to talk about that right now. We're going to riff into that a lot harder. Um, I also got to play one of my current favorites right now, Brass Birmingham, which I would say is probably my vote for a Euro game of the year in 2018. I I really haven't played anything I like more than that. I got a chance to play The Flow of History, kind of a little card game uh, bidding, civilization builder, Got a chance to introduce that late Friday night. Played Mystic Veil, that card crafting system game, which is plays out like a deck builder, but um, some interesting choices to beef up your deck. And I got absolutely rocked on that one. But uh, I guess uh, that made me a good teacher, but made me an awful poor player. Got a chance to pull out and introduce a number of people to my print and play version of Glory to Rome. Uh, If you have not played Glory to Rome, that uh, Carl Chudik <laughs> bit of craziness, which is super duper out of print right now. Absolutely worth your trouble. Um, you know, Matainai Innovation and all of its uh, pale clones just are not the same. And uh, it was loved by one and all. I also finally got a chance to play Gaia Project, which I have a very strange love-hate relationship with the Gaia Project slash Terra Mystica system, which I, I love the game and I don't understand it for a second. But that's OK. I still enjoyed it. Who won the game you played with, Mark, when you played the Gaia Project? Who was the, the champion there? Uh, that would be you, Jake. Thank you. I'm very good at Gaia Project. I don't know why. <laughs> and who finished fourth? It's the... Uh, you. It was you, Mark. You were being a good host, though. You had a bunch of friends there. You had to make sure everybody had pizza. <laughs> um, we had time when you were fetching pizza to plan our turns and talk about how we were going to make sure that you lost. <laughs> there was an awful lot of distractions during that game. And I think I maybe got a quarter of the instructions to so the whole game. I'm literally re-asking, uh, how do you do that again? Right. And that game does a really bad job of keeping all of the information visible in one quick look it feels like you're constantly going to different aisles in a shopping mall trying or shopping store trying to get different information you know when you write down your list in a really bad way at the grocery store that's what it's like in that game okay i have to see my income over here but then i have to see how much this stuff costs over here it's it's frustrating for sure yeah i agree completely with that one Another game, finally got a chance to get one off my shelf of shame virtually. I haven't played my own copy yet, but we got to play In a Grove, the smallest of the Oink Small Box games. We finally pulled that one out and a clever little game. I don't know why we waited so long to play that one. Yeah, it was fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, It was one of the worst teaches I've done in a while. We taught it out of the rules and it took about two rounds to actually figure out what we were doing. But it's a neat little game. I'd I'd like to play it again and see if now that we can actually get the more gaminess out of it. It was more fun once we figured out it was a deduction and bluffing game. Yeah, not just one or the other. (laughs) For sure. And I've also got this week played a number of online 18xx games. Uh, Both Jake and I participate in several of those. I'm currently in the midst of a game of 1850, 1867, 18 Ireland, and 1889. Jake, how's 1889 going? Not well. We just finished. You won. I rocketed off to an early lead, and I had some misplays and didn't didn't do well. You timed a diesel train really well, um, and you were able to just get more money than me. I thought it would have been a bigger disparity towards the end. So normally we will call some online games if they seem pretty determined. 
But what I did is I just took the last income levels for the companies and I did that until the bank broke. And you only beat me by like $500. I thought it would have been way more than that, but I don't think I had anything I could do to change your trajectory there. You were pretty well bought in on stocks, so that helped a lot too. But uh, for those yeah. familiar with the 18XX system, my last diesel runs were for 640 which... I think I hit just about every city on the island. Yeah. It was beautiful. And I know, I don't think anybody in any ways to shorten that either. No. There's no choke points really for no, you. No, for sure. No. Um, on the 18XX topic, I think my high point of the weekend is I got to play 18 Lilliput. 18 Lilliput is a small box game by Fox in the Box and the uh, 18XX prolific designer uh, Lonnie Orgler, or, Orger, Orgler, or, Orgler. We're going to go with Orgler. Sounds right. It's, it's close enough. It's the same designer as 1844 and 1854, 1880 China, and a number of them. Lonnie decided to create a introductory 18xx game that's really a card game and fits into a small box and is an action selection game, which, man, there was a lot of heresy in the 18xx land that I just uttered. They're coming with pitchforks. The crusty 18xx neckbeards are not happy with this game but you know what i enjoyed it quite a bit action selection was really interesting and added a lot of tension to the game because you can't just go buy stocks every turn you can't just buy trains every turn you only get to do that if you get one of the three cards that says you can do that yeah i I was really bummed to not be able to play this i had wrapped up my game of i think at that point in time it was castles of burgundy and i walked over and just watched you guys finish it up and man it looked just like an 18xx game on the table with square cards versus the hex tiles. But it looked really fun. And you played with some newer players than I would experience the 18xx system or any real stock shenanigans games. And they seem to like it completely. Right? And, you know, there was a couple people at that table that are not 18xx players by any stretch of the imagination. They're, you know, Ameritrash gurus. And at least they uh, gave off the ambiance of having a very good time. Right. Well, you were the host. I don't think they would have told you if they didn't. I perceive they actually did <sighs> really have a good time. There was chuckles and they were no. they were fully engaged the whole game. So no, and it was beautiful. The copy was gorgeous. I think you played with the wrong side, but <laughs> that's just me. Um, for, for those at home, Lilliput comes with two different sized cards. One side is just a really stark 18xx style artwork. I'm putting that in air quotes. You can't see it. Completely just one tone and black track and white circles for the cities. And then the other side had texture and gross train track looking things. We don't want that. We want it to look like a subway map. You know, I was playing with newbies, though. We got to ease them in gently with something they're familiar with. No, 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 no. Just pull out the computer, have the spreadsheet, (laughs) say, why are we doing anything other way? Did everybody bring their laptop? This is group accounting. Well, tomorrow, my friend, uh, we have our in real life game night tomorrow night, and I will bring 18 Lilliput along. Your wish could become true, Jake. I'm excited. I'm very much looking forward to that as I own a copy too, and it'll be removed from my shelf of shame if we can get it played. Um, What's on your list of played? um, Well, I talked briefly about Codenames Duet. No, nothing to really expand on there. We played Keyforge. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, But actually at the gaming weekend this weekend, I was able to play Castles of Burgundy, which is a classic game I like to play every once in a while. I played the absolute um, crap out of it about two and a half years ago. I played it maybe 20 times, two and a half years ago, and I was a little burned down on it. But the last year I brought it out two or three times, and it's been just a fun little game. I played it two player, it's which is my favorite. People walked by and said, What game is that? Right. It's like it's Castles of Burgundy. Everybody knows Castles of Burgundy. No, and <laughs> I, yeah. And I played it two player, which is my favorite way to play it. It was nice and tight. Action selection was great. Um, and it was just, it's a great game. It's a great little two player game, I think. I think it gets a little bloated at four. Um, we also played Dairy Man by TMG Games which is a quick little um, push-your-luck dice-rolling game with a little dairy theme where you're milking cows and turning into cheese. We had a fun time with that. I'm show your age right now, Jake. I keep hearing that 80s song in my head, Don't Pay the Dairy Man. I, I was not even alive then. Uh, never mind. I know. I'm sorry, Mark. I've failed you. I was listening to jazz before this, though, but we're not a jazz podcast. Dairy Man was great. It did that thing where... It made you feel really good as someone who brought a game to a table where one person at the game table purchased a copy of the game while we were playing. I love that. And that's always a great thing. I love that. I know. It's awesome. I know. It was great. And I didn't think that person was going to like it that much because it was dice rolling. And Phil said he really didn't like dice rolling. Phil? So the next game. 
Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Surprising, right? Yeah. So the next game we played was a new release by Shem Phillips over at Garpill Games called Architects of the West Kingdom. Um, I think it was co-designed by another individual. I don't know their name off the top of my head, but it was a great game. I'm a huge fan of Raiders of the North Sea, which is another game by Shem Phillips at Garpill Games. And so the premise of this one is it's a worker placement with no cleanup phase. So in your traditional worker placement, think Lords of Waterdeep. You play out some stuff, you clean up. Then you play out some stuff, you clean up. This one, you just keep on constantly playing out a worker. You can play multiple workers at the same spot, and your power gets higher by each consecutive worker that you have placed there. There's also some actions where you can steal other people's workers from spots and bring them back to your town. It was an awesome game, though. Played with a couple of people. Um, first time playing, so there's definitely some rules issues, but worked out wonderfully. Yeah, that looked absolutely awesome. I was a little jealous I didn't get a chance to get in on that one. Right. It's moved up pretty high in my wish list. It's a great game, but I think the fiance will kill me if I buy another game this close to Christmas. <laughs> For sure. Um, and that, Another game I played this week was Roll for the Galaxy, classic game, played with four people, taught one player for the first time, but only played Race for the Galaxy. I still absolutely prefer Roll. Beautiful game. One another expansion. I don't think I could ever have too much in this game. Also played Dice Fishing by Homo Sapiens Lab, um, which I believe is a Korean or Japanese company. And in this one, you're bidding with dice to go fishing to try to get certain combinations Yahtzee style. If you bid less dice than everyone else, you get a roll first. So let's say you need to roll a seven and one of your die has to be a six. If you bid two dice and your friend bids three dice, you get a roll first. There's also some re-rolls that you can get with a special die. It's a great little game. I ended up purchasing a copy for my fiance's family. I think they're going to really like it. Yeah, this is Uh, is actually high on my list of of games to try. I love small box Japanese card games. I, I love the the style and the mechanism of it. And I really would like to try that one. It was a hoot. Could not recommend it more. It was super, super fun. Kind of want to buy a copy for myself. We'll see what's going to happen when the copy for the fiance's mom comes in. Because I know they're going to like it, but I know I'd like it too. We'll see. Um, also played Brass Birmingham with uh, you and a couple other people, which was awesome. I think I won that one, didn't I? Uh, you did win that one. Yes, I did. Nice. I like that one. I like that game. Um, still a big fan, much preferred over Lancashire. Beautiful game. I'm sure we're pronouncing that awfully wrong. And then we also played Concordia as a late night kind of wrap up game. Something I was medium weight just to not need to play too much. And then also played Gaia projects. It was a great weekend of gaming way more than I normally get. Fantastic. We also, so we, we we mentioned this frequently, Jake and I have a regular Wednesday night gaming group that meets at Fantasy Flight Games in Roseville, Minnesota. And uh, we inadvertently had a theme night Wednesday night last week that we didn't really plan on. And afterwards, we sat and talked about it and went, man, really, those two games had more in common than we ever would have guessed, which is completely random because one of the games that I pulled out hadn't seen the light of day in nearly 10 years. But they were shockingly close in build quality and kind of look and even some feel comment, some some feel things to it. We decided we actually wanted to dive in a little bit deeper on those two things. So uh, the two games in question are, first off, uh, Medina, the Rio Grande classic by Stephen Dora, uh, most known for the game for sale, which was came out in its first edition back in 2001. That's actually the version I have. And I bought it shortly thereafter. It was actually really high on board game geek at that time. I don't remember where it was, but it was like a top 20 game. I think back in, and it shows it was great back in, back in the day. Sure. And it just, it sort of hit the shelf. Newer games happened and I just kind of forgot about it. And, uh, it hit the light of day again in 2014 when they reissued it with a second edition and they freshened up some rules and added to it. I freshened my copy up to be a second edition version and then just never got it out to the table again. And finally, last Wednesday, I just grabbed it on the way out the door and said, we're playing this tonight and um, had a spectacular time playing it. More on that in a second. The other game that we played was uh, we pulled out was a new one. That's also a second edition or a reprint called The Estates by Capstone Games. The original uh, designer, Klaus Zock. 
originally uh, was published in 2007 under the name Neue Heimat by Chili Spiele and just came out this year by Capstone Games under the name The Estates. And with that kind of intro, the funny thing we noticed that the two had in common, and that would be what, Jake? Be just these beautiful wooden components. So we thought we'd talk about this because it seems like there is a trend and a trend in games just to get really bloated. And some games have gotten so bloated that we've actually started to get rid of them for no fault of the game. But I just can't have something that has that much crap in it taking up a space on my shelf. Yeah. The perfect example of this one is Rising Sun. For sure. I thought it was a fine game. If it was a small box game or I'm saying small box, a regular 12 and a half by 12 and a half box, I would always keep that game. But because it took up one whole cube of my Calyx, I couldn't keep it. It was it was so much of my collection for something I didn't really enjoy that much. I have had the distinct displeasure of unpacking and packing a, a, a full Kickstarter a deluxe version of Rising Sun. And it, no joke, it takes half an hour. It takes longer than it takes to pack away Gloomhaven. Right. And I remember, Same. you remember when we played, all I did was at the end of it, just scooped everything in the box like a kid. Yeah, you pretty much raid packed it. it. Was, it's just ridiculous. Why would anyone ever need that much components in a game for no apparent reason? I get that their name as a company is Cool Mini or not, hence on the mini and the cool, <laughs> but it'd be such a better game for me in my life if, if it was just the or not part. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> just a small little wooden component. If this had just cubes, larger cubes and hexagons or something, it'd be a way better game. So we wanted to highlight these two games as kind of some great starter, medium weight-ish games that have some great depth to them and some current, but also have what I and I believe you believe are kind of capstone style productions. As we talk about kind of what we like in games, we both agree the fact that wood just gives us a happy feeling, you know, versus a high fidelity miniature with a lot of detail. There's something about pulling a whole bunch of chunky wood parts out and stacking them up and sorting them out and they're colorful and they smell like wood. And yeah, really, and they feel nice to play with. They make noise. You're not worried about hitting them against things. No, no. And there's just there's I don't know, sort of a delicious. The abstractness for it is beautiful. Um, I think the poster Absolutely. child for this actually is Root. The recent release right. from later games. We both agree that's absolutely the most gorgeous presentation of the year. And it's meeples. There are no miniatures in it. There are no right. high fidelity plastic anything in there. They're artistically shaped, simply painted meeples, and they're beautiful. And I think, honestly, the game would be detracted from if it had miniatures. 100%. I understand that some people would want that, but they're cute. They're instantly understandable on what shape is what from any angle. The colors are very contrasted, and they, they look gorgeous on the board. It's just weird because you're playing the game. I understand miniatures on a 3D board, um, map. You know, like actually on the terrain and everything that you build up and paint, that looks gorgeous. But most board games are flat. They're just single 2D dimensional things. They don't need something that's this high fidelity contrast thing sitting on an art. So that being said, let's talk about some of these games. Let's do the estates first. Sure. Yeah. And I was going to just add one comment to the miniatures versus wood bits. Go ahead. I think I've got it figured out that if miniatures are bad, if they make it tougher to figure out what piece you're dealing with, um, again, Rising yeah. Sun, when you got to pull out a guide to figure out what miniature something even is, that, that that's not good. Likewise, too, right. if all your bits are so similar wooden cubes that you're having trouble figuring out which is which, well, then maybe you need a little more specificity. Like Scythe, right? Scythe, does Scythe need miniatures? It doesn't. But is it better with miniatures? Absolutely. Because if you, yeah. literally, if you just had a whole bunch of different size cubes on the board, it would be tougher to grok the game state quickly. Absolutely. Well, and the other thing, too, is if the miniatures are just completely unnecessary. If you were to take away the minis in Rising Sun and just play with the bottom discs, that would be the exact same game as it with the miniatures. For sure. All they do is they're just game pieces. They don't convey any specific factionality or anything along those lines. They're just different molds that are... I think in different slight colors of plastics with a bottom ring that is your player color. For sure. There's no real information being taken from that besides a different sculpt. But I get it. Some people, it's a huge hobby for them to paint it. You, uh, you like to paint miniatures. I do, but- yeah. So I'm not anti-miniature by any stretch of the imagination, but right. I 
don't like doubling the cost of a game for miniatures I don't need and doubling the size of the box for miniatures I don't need. So these things are really big. I have a small apartment. Yeah. I can't fit them all in here. But serves a purpose, um, right? We're going to kind of wax rhapsodic about our love of wooden bits at the moment. And I'll start out <laughs> and reflect a little bit on, on Medina. And then I'll let you okay. uh, grab the ball and talk a little bit about the estates. So um, the Medina is really... It, a game about building, you know, the desert oasis of Medina. I'm sure that's not straight out of the book. Simplest game on the planet. You have a pile of different pieces. You have like, you have wall pieces, you have temple pieces, you have roofs, you've got merchants to go in the city streets, and you have those all behind your blind, if you will. And every turn you lay two pieces. That's it. At a certain point, you claim a palace with your rooftop piece. And when you claim it, you score it one point per chunk of wood that's there, essentially. If you have it next to a wall, you gain additional points per wall. If a guy's walking in front of it, you get additional points for the guy. That's really the whole game. And you get to place two pieces per game. There are some placement rules there, but it very quickly kind of becomes a push your luck of when do I claim this thing? Oh, shoot, I waited a turn too long. Now somebody else claimed it. And oh, nuts. The only place to start a new palace is in this awful little corner. Uh, Plays in a, a little over an hour, I would say. And it's absolutely gorgeous when it's done. You have this nice multicolored Middle Eastern looking city with minarets on the top of everything. And it's just very tactically pleasing to play along with uh, interesting strategy. And uh, it's a fun puzzle to solve. So it was very fun to get that thing back out after uh, too many years in the closet and let it see the light of day again. I I guarantee we will play this again much, much sooner. Um, We had a couple of new joiners, new gamers to our Wednesday night game group. And one of them being my my sister's boyfriend. And so he's somewhat new to the area and somewhat new to gaming. And so I want to make sure that we kind of played some games that were a little more accessible for him the first time we played, but still weren't something that were going to be boring for us. And this game absolutely fit that bill. It had the most beautiful color palette to try to convey the town. I'm serious. Google this game. You would not imagine how nice it looks once everything's built up. There was four different colors of the temples, each one of them slightly subtle. I hope they're accessible for colorblind people. I had no issues with it. And it was just a really fun little tactical game. And then towards the end of it, you look down and you're scoring everything. before, And you kind of don't want to put it all away because you made this little town. You see this little line of merchants that score little points, which is weird that it's a sneaking line of people. But they're populating the little town. And you made this and it's yours and you have certain aspects of it and other people have others. But... It's a it's a beautiful game and there's very open decision making process. So it might suffer from a little bit of AP if you were to play it with some people that really know what they're doing. I would absolutely love to love to get this game to the table again. I absolutely agree, Mark. I think we're going to play it much more often. Absolutely. It's been played in the last 10 years for you. The next one that kind of fits this bill is the estates. As Mark said, it was originally known as Nua Heimat in Germany, and it's one of those games that's always been kind of spoken of. Capstone Games did a new edition of it, and Mark and I both pre-ordered it on the same day. We did not kickstart it, but we did write down to pre-order it at FFG, at our Fantasy Flight Game Store, and it's very similar. It's got these gorgeous little wooden square things that are the different levels. Each one of them has a number on them. It comes with two monogram bags that actually say, the or they're screen printed with the estate's logo on it. Each one of these different colored levels represents a block on a building that would get taller and taller um, with time. There's also these gorgeous, chunky little wooden roofs that you put on top of your skyscrapers, your building. These building plot extenders and shorteners that look like little medians and car lanes. And then finally, there's an, a hat that actually represents the mayor and where he's going to double point. But the gist of this game is it's a fixed economy auction game. So at the start of the game, you're going to deal out the money evenly to every person. That's the entire money that's going to be there in the whole game. And what you're going to do is you're going to bid on these floors that are arranged in a certain way where you can only get certain pieces. And you're going to place these on the board with some rules. And the gist of it is whoever's on the very top is going to score points. So if you are the color blue because you're the first person to play the blue floors, you will score the blue towers that have the blue piece on top. So you get that score plus the roof score plus all of the base levels um, below level scores added to yours. If the road is finished, 
there's three roads in the game, you get positive points. If it's one of the roads that is incomplete at the end of the game, you get negative points. It's just a gorgeous game. What'd you think of it, Mark? Uh, yeah, right off the bat, as soon as I opened this box, I fell in love with the production of it. It's so beautiful, vivid colors, beautiful blocks, nice printing. It looked amazing. It was the most beautiful rule book I've ever seen. Yeah, the rule book. It was actually fun to teach out of. Very concise yet thematic. Yeah. The production of this thing is 10 out of 10. Uh, loved it. Anybody that pulls it out, walks up and looks at it and asks questions about what, what you're playing and wants to join in. I also have a special fondness for meaningful games that don't take five hours. I love long games, but I can't always play long games. And I I hate that if there's a 30-minute spot, somehow automatically it becomes a, well, let's play a super light filler. Having an option where you can play something that is stressful and meaningful and emotional and it plays in 45 minutes is a huge win in our gaming group. No, absolutely. It's such an easily accessible game. And I don't think you can, there's a little bit of issues on the first couple of turns. You might really want to make sure that someone wins a company that's okay and places the bit for their first couple of turns. So they're not stuck without a company or being in the wrong company which is a little bit reg regrettable because if you were to miss bid a couple of times on three or four bids, you might get stuck without a company. The other thing that's interesting is with the way that the bidding works, which is really interesting, you always are trying to properly evaluate something for certain individuals. So you might just bid something up because you don't want someone who really wants it to get away with it with a steal. And then sometimes you might bid it up because you know the person who's actually auctioning it is going to win it or is going to want it and will pay you for it. So the most interesting thing about this game is the auction mechanism. What you do is everyone from the person starting with the auctioneer, they're going to choose a bit, any bit on the board that you're going to auction. Then the person to the left going all the way around the table gets one opportunity to bid on the piece. Then whoever's the highest bidder, the auctioneer has two options for that. They can either pay the highest bidder, the price for the piece that has been determined, or they can have the highest bidder pay them for the piece. So it was really interesting seeing how some of the newer players thought about the strategy of this game. Some of these people would just wait and really try to put the best thing up for sale when they were the person to try to get the most money. But some people would try to make sure that they knew and we're bidding on things for other people. So they felt uncomfortable getting it and putting them in, in advantageous positions. It's just, it's a great game. They pretty quickly realized also that the only way that they were ever going to make additional money was by having the auctioneer buy it from them. And the only way that the auctioneer was ever going to buy it from them is if they were the highest bidder. So if you're out of money, right. it doesn't, you need to put something up for auction and be the highest bidder when it comes around to the auctioneer. Otherwise you're never getting another dime. Right. And we also bought uh, the one component that's missing in this game is a little gavel. So I went on Amazon and put and bought a two pack of gavels for Mark and my copy. And it absolutely ties the game together. Oh, it keeps the big woodenness coming to the game. And about 50% I don't sized, I would say. Right. Yeah. Perfect. It just fits in there perfectly. And the, the one issue with the game was when I was playing up at my cabin with a game of five, Everyone would look around and say, who's bidding? Who auctioned this again? I don't know if it was my family not knowing what was going on, but they played really well. It was just nice to have a little piece to say who was auctioning it. But The Estates by Capstone Games is a great game. I think it's almost filler territory, and I think you're going to be hard-pressed to find a group that doesn't like it. The, the challenge here is this game is aggressively mean. I don't know that we made that point That's quite fair. strong enough. This is a mean, vicious game where you're actively trying to hose everybody at the table on every single play, whether you're trying to bully them with money or whether you're trying to buy something out from underneath them or stick them with something they don't want. This game is mean. And right. I played it with my 10 and 12 year old who don't always do super well with games where they kind of get stuffed or they don't get their way or so forth. They loved it. They absolutely loved oh, it. Good. They took it in the context of a game and giggled like crazy when somebody got something they didn't want it and kind of just went, aw, when it didn't work out the way they thought. And, uh, I was and to expand on that point, too. <laughs> it's a rough game. Yeah, it, to expand on that, it really 
isn't doesn't overstay its welcome. It's a very brief game, so it's very mean. I've played meaner games. I'd say it's top 80% for weirdness, absolute, uh, for meanness, but it it doesn't overstay its welcome. You'll be done with this game in 45 minutes, even with new players. Yep, for sure. So It's a great one. Yeah, they may be screwed, but they may be screwed, and they can also screw everyone else for the next 45 minutes. But beautiful game, great components, two awesome games, highly recommended for some newer players, and really show the beauty of wood in games. Capstone Games is really making that part of their their brand, because I think of their release from last year, The Climbers, which also was just a big old box of wood, and is also quite a mean game. No, absolutely. I actually have stopped bringing that game to game nights because it just weighs too much. <laughs> it's it's legitimately a box of wood. There's there's nothing else in there. It's it's a little bit of air, but if you shake it around, nothing really moves. It's just full of blocks. I'm going to make it. Prediction. If you don't like the game, what's I that? I bet I'm getting this from Christmas for my family. Oh, did you ask for the regular or the XL? I saw that they were going to kickstart it. Regular. I just, I happened to mention they were ogling, ogling over the wooden bits in there. And I said, oh yeah, boy, this company's got this other beautiful one called Climbers where literally you're just stacking them up and trying to get to the top. And you could see everybody around the table just kind of going, thought bubble. Well, it's great. It's a good game, even though it'll be on your uh, shelf of shame, which will be a conversation. Yeah, that one won't stay on the shelf of shame longer than the day after Christmas because I guarantee (laughs) you'll want to play it. I love that game. It's a good one. It's also fun because you feel really smart when you can chain together something that no one saw. Wonderful. Any other thoughts that you have on Medina or the estates, Mark? No. And again, in case we weren't clear enough on it, the the common thread there was uh, a game that was given signature wooden, beautiful bits and a design aesthetic that is as pleasing to play as it is to look at and to just manipulate the pieces on. We, We love that trend and wish more designers would do that. Absolutely. And both these games were really affordable, too. The Estates wasn't very expensive. No. And I think it was a $30 game, $30, $40 game. I haven't priced out Medina, at least recently. I don't know. the. I'm, I'm sure 2001 versions can be had for a song now that the 2014 versions are out. But even the 2014 versions can be had uh, used from Board Game Geek pretty inexpensively. I thought it was $20 when I looked last. That's what you can expect from this podcast. Very little looking up. Much talking of the seat of the pants. <laughs> so I'm looking at your favorite online supplier right now at uh, Medina Board Game. And uh, Medina by Stronghold Games, $68 on, on, on delivery day after tomorrow service. Ooh, that's not bad. No, it's a little expensive. The amount of wood in that box, that's spectacular, actually. Absolutely. And when your kids are, when you start having kids, you can just have them use it as little plate pieces. Two for one. What would be fun is I guarantee you could play Medina with Legos. Oh, that'd be great. Just build the actual yeah, thing. Just use Lego pieces to put that out there. Hmm, I have to try this one. That's a good idea. Well, why don't we move on to our next topic, Mark, which is one that you will probably be able to talk with for at least three hours. on. OK. So, um, um, and by the way, we're I think we're going to put a little preface around this one on why on earth are we talking about this one? Because we both agreed that this <laughs> topic is somewhat outside the flow of our usual fare. Um, We both tend to prefer medium to heavy games, yet I think it's sort of the thing that's being talked about so much right now that everybody and their mother is at least given it a test and an eyeball to see what it's about. And it kind of, it crosses over well with our board gaming histories. So I think it's important that we bring it up. We mention it. uh, We beat it to death in 15 minutes and then we never talk about it again. Deal. Deal. Absolutely. <laughs> Completely agree. Let's talk about two player head to head card games. That's so, so this is Magic the Gathering. Generic. I know. I had to include it somehow. Because they're not all CCGs, and we'll get some stickler saying, oh, well, what about LCGs? These are two player games where you have a pre constructed deck that you show up with, you sit down against your buddy or some guy that you met on the internet, and you play against them. Yeah. So. What are those games? So, I- Magic the Gathering, Keyforge, Hearthstone, Codex, Android Netrunner, Codex. Technically, I don't think Codex well, counts. Well, it does. It's a two-player head-to-head game. Yes, it's been extended to multiplayer, but so has Magic. So, um, Magic Hearthstone, do you, do you come with a pre-constructed deck? Uh, yeah, you do. It, it's a... Yeah, oh, no, no, no. Well, it, it's a... Yeah, I guess it's closer to a deck builder, but it, it touches a lot of the same 
things. It's a head-to-head combat deck right. game where you have a basic deck that you start adding cards to as the game goes on. So maybe a little farther out. but uh, Yeah, it's close. We'll count it that. Fantasy Flight Games has been doing a for a long while their LCG line of games, which stands for Living Card Games, where instead of buying booster packs where there's a random assortment of cards with some set of rarities guaranteed they you know exactly what's going to get in the box that you buy um so that's been netrunner that was the lord of the rings lcg that was the arkham horror lcg that was the warhammer 40k conquest lcg they've done it for every single intellectual property they've had but we're going to kind of tailor our conversation to our history which for mark will be a heavy conversation about magic the gathering we're going to kind of loop that into our current thoughts about keyforge and kind of some weird ones that we may or may talk not talk about so i won't preface it here but mark why don't you let us know about your history in magic the gathering i first heard about magic the gathering in about 1993 the earliest days of the game and man that's when i was was the stupidest thing i had ever heard of i I (laughs) was just gobsmacked about why anybody would spend this money and buy these magic spell cards that they would keep in a shoebox and pull out and play I, I had no understanding of that at all. Wasn't a gamer at the time, had some background in D&D, but still, I, I didn't get it. Until I got snowed in at my friend's house in Fargo for the weekend, who was a Magic player, and uh, smash cut to 72 straight hours of playing Magic. And uh, <laughs> was absolutely hooked. And for about the next 10 years, that literally was all I played. Uh, I've played thousands of games of Magic in the meantime. Never played at a tournament level, you know, never invested in all the expensive cards. I was played kitchen table, casual multiplayer. So what years were you into Magic the Gathering from? Oh, this would be from 94 up through really probably about 2006, 7, 8, somewhere in there is probably when I finally hung it up. Okay. It kind of corresponded with uh, myself and my Magic playing friends uh, successfully procreating. And um, we just didn't get together as often once we had kids. And about the same time, we found board games and Magic fell off pretty quickly after that. So really don't play much Magic anymore. But a lot of my opinions on games like this are colored by my experiences with Magic and things I love about Magic and why I love playing Magic. And it would be hard for me to judge any of these games without that filter. What's your background, Jake? I have pretty much tried all of the games, but I've never loved any of them except for one, which some people may not include counts. In early high school, I had a friend who had a couple of Magic the Gathering decks. I don't even think we did any deck construction. I think he just had the pre-made decks, the ones that you go to the store and you just buy a deck. Um, What are those called, Mark? Pre-constructs pre-constructs yeah so i think i i had a red goblin one and he had some other one or maybe i had a white one but we just would play at his table no sleeves we didn't even know what sleeves were i don't even know if we had the right amount of cards but it was just like an activity we'd do and we'd come home i had another friend who got really interested in magic the gathering and he always talked about how cool it was and this was what the internet was great and you could just go on and there was all these websites where you could search for everything and make these awesome decks and it just really wasn't for me. I was more into 40K, but they ended up making me a deck, a Kithkin deck, which I still mm-hmm. have. Then I fell off of it. It just got too expensive. And then throughout college, we dabbled on and off with some of them got into magic, but I mostly just played X-Wing very casually. And that was enough. I'm going to buy something every once in a while for me. The main reason I never got into these games was deck construction. I didn't find it fun to sit down and think of the best cards to do it. I enjoyed drafting, but then I'd have cards after that I didn't want. It was wasted money in my mind. I wasn't going to sell them. Occasionally, I'd get something, I'd give it to my friend, and he'd sell it for me, and I'd save it. But maybe I've drafted three or four times, and then we'd play a little bit. But I did avoid it, thankfully, the resurgence of it in college, and I left with my Walt intact. The other game that I really liked, and I kind of feel weird talking about in a board game podcast, is Hearthstone. Um, I'm sure we're going to get some people saying that we can't talk about this. But 
it's a CCG. It has mana. It has stuff that you use. It has cards. It has some things that other CCGs couldn't do because it's online and they can be done through the computer. Certain mechanisms that just wouldn't work without incredible amount of overhead or RNG or stuff that makes it really fun. So I was really interested in that about three, uh, when was it? A year and a half ago at my old job. I used to be on conference calls a lot and I'd just play around with my little Hearthstone deck while I was on conference calls. And it was great. And then more recently, I got a little bit interested into Android Netrunner, but regrettably now Fantasy Flight lost the intellectual property for that and is no longer going to be publishing it. So I have all of the deluxe expansions sitting in the main box and it's kind of a self-contained CCG for me which is fun. So I played that a little bit with my cousin, Tyler. We ended up doing the terminal directive, I think is the name of it. It's the legacy expansion where you, it's a legacy game for Android Netrunner, where you're going to both build certain decks and modify them to try to figure out this case. And it was really fun. But recently, I'm sure you guys have heard of it. There's this new game called Keyforge that's out and it's taken the internet by storm there was an entire day where I kept on seeing people's picture, posting pictures of their deck names. Mark, why don't you tell them a little bit about what Keyforge back it is? Up a, a notch. My first exposure to this was actually yes. a Gen Con of this year. I Correct. considered going to see the Fantasy Flight keynote speech on the first the day before Gen Con started. Our Uncle Kirk had a spare ticket, and I was going to join him with that until you, Jake, said, "Hey, Mark." We're going to play 18 Chesapeake. <laughs> Would you like to join us? And I went, oh, I'm far more interested in 18 Chesapeake than I am in whatever Fantasy Flight's going to do. So I noped out of there. Well, as it turns out, it was maybe the biggest splash of the entire con. They introduced this thing called Keyforge, which I would call a collectible deck game where... Every deck is unique. Yeah. Every deck is meant to go together. There's no card trading. There's no secondary market on cards. You buy a deck, you open the deck, you play the deck. Um, and it's, it's the deck. The interesting part about that to me was the designer, uh, one Richard Garfield, who is notorious for being the designer of magic. So, no, 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 no. He's notorious for being the designer of King of Tokyo. <laughs> That's what he's known Robo for. Rally. Don't forget RoboRally. Robo Rally, got it. I, I sure. apologize, but um, that, that that got my attention right off the bat because the guy that designed Magic is behind this thing, so uh, that immediately made it more interesting for me rather than just you know some other LCG that came out that to join the cast of thousands of those. In the meantime, you know, absolutely. We had to, so everybody that went to that keynote speech actually got product. They got two decks and uh, Uncle Kirk and our friend Troy also came back with decks from that and ripped right into it immediately. And I don't know why they didn't sell those for the $250 that they were going for on eBay immediately <laughs> after that. That would have been my reaction personally. But, you know, they uh, they were interested and wanted to play. I can't fault them for that. Since then, there's been a lot of talk about it and a lot of talk on, is this a magic killer? Is this a Hearthstone killer? Is this a blank anything killer? And a lot of speculation has been out there. And now that it's out in the world and people have played it, and more specifically now that I have played it, I have an opinion on this topic and, and some thoughts on what I think about this thing called Keyforge. Go for it. I Well, well let's, let's, let's cut the drama. I don't think it's going to be a magic killer. I don't think it's going to be an anything nope. killer. Nope. Nope. I I think it'll be a hit. I think they've already made a whole ton of money on it. Multiply 250,000 registered decks times 10 bucks. And that's not a bad day for anybody. Absolutely. I'd be quite happy with that. So, it, you know, regardless of what happens from here on out, it was a success. And congratulations to FFG for that one. So why don't we quickly explain the game just a little more detail with a little more granularity, just to give a little bit of definition to these terms that we sure. use. To start off, Keyforge is designed by Richard Garfield. It's produced by Fantasy Flight. And as Mark said, the big key thing of this, pardon my pun, is every deck is unique. You don't trade cards. You don't build a deck. You just buy a deck. There it is. Every deck consists of three houses of an available seven. They have an algorithm that puts together what cards you're going to get there. I believe there's some minimum rarity that you have to have 
amongst your cards in the deck. Like you have to at least there is a card list and every deck has a certain amount of rares, certain amount of uncommons, certain amount of regular guys. Yep, that, that's my understanding too. And there's also right. so there's uh, several different houses or families or factions, however they they call them. Houses that all work together, and every deck has three of them in there. And every turn, you decide which one of them is going to be active and using their power that time around, and the rest of them are just sitting back taking up space while the other ones are doing their thing. So what really makes this game is the fact that you don't have to construct anything. In my mind, I know that that's probably it's double edged sword for it. But what you can do is just show up with a deck or bring ten dollars and buy a deck at the store and you're into the game in an at least, say, somewhat statistically viable way. Probably depends on who you're playing with and how good their decks are and how many cases they've opened to try to see what decks they're going to pull. But you should get in the game earlier. And so that kind of goes into the big issue with the game, which is there's no deck construction. How do you feel about that, Mark? Jake, you ever go go karting? I have been many times. Okay, so uh, go karting. If you plop down ten bucks, and they they you know you run out there and you, you kind of look around the track and you go, oh, geez, number three looks faster than the rest of them, and uh, boy, I don't want I don't want go kart number ten. That thing looks really slow. Somebody manages to squeeze their button to go-kart number three before you do, and you plop into number seven, and you go around that first corner and realize that your go-kart is a total dog, and you had no say in the matter. But you already paid your 10 bucks to race. And the lack of death deck construction made it feel a little bit like go-karting. Some of them were fast. Some of them were not fast. And... I still paid my, you know, you still pay your 10 bucks for the deck and there's really, you don't have any ability to improve it or make it run. And as a result, it felt like a hodgepodge as we were playing it to me. Um, again, somebody that's used to playing a more tuned magic deck that did something with a strategy and had a way to play it that was unique to that deck and a strategy, uh, you know, an entire game strategy behind it. It, it felt like a hodgepodge to me, and it felt extremely tactical as a result. Hey, what I draw this time? Oh, I guess I'll play this card. What I draw this Here's time? What I'm oh, I guess do. I'll draw that card. Yeah, I get that there's combos in there, and I I certainly saw some of them, but it was very reactionary with combos. What I get? Oh, yeah, I guess this works. There, it wasn't. There was no notion that okay, I'm going to look for this piece of the combo, and I'm going to look for that piece of the combo. Then I'm going to put them together, and boom, I win. So I don't think it's ever a boom, I win thing. I think that your point is 100% right. The decks just aren't going to be bespoke. Turn six, game's over. I have this, this, and this. You needed to counter with this. That's not going to happen in this game. But you will know what cards can do things. You will know what cards do what and when you need to do that against certain things. So... What I'm finding so neat about this game is I don't even look at the deck list before I start playing them. So I bought three decks to start. I played against my, I bought one and brought it up and played it against my family. They had a whole bunch of decks. I just kept on playing the same deck six, seven, eight times. And what's fun is you start to learn what cards do what and what aspects of your factions do different things against different timing. So for example, I have in one deck a really good delaying card combination in one of my factions. They have a whole bunch of, no, you don't get to do this next turn. They have, you don't get to play action cards. You don't get to play creatures next turn cards in that faction. So what I do is I set up this big, long wall of guys in that faction. And then I keep on laying down these action cards that tell my people, the, my opponent, you can't do anything this turn. Sorry. You're just going to have to hang out. And so I set up my wall, but you're not going to get a strategy you can piece out what cards and what certain aspects do well in it and what you want to have. But for the most part, it's not, oh, if I don't have this card down turn one, my strategy's over. Yep, for sure. But I think that's the best part of this game. So I'm very into games. I think you guys probably understand that because I'm recording a podcast. I don't want to do homework about building a deck before I come on here. I don't want to have to see about what combos really research everything and put together the most perfect deck through buying singles. I also don't want to be subjugated to buying packs and packs and packs of cards, hoping that I get 
what I want to get for the certain one rare that I pull out of that and throw the junk away. I do understand that the Keyforge does have a little bit of that because there's certain decks that are just objectively going to be a little bit more powerful than the other decks that you pull in Keyforge. But you're not opening up pack after pack after pack trying to get one specific card or going online and doing the secondary market. And the other benefit of this is it has an easier barrier of entry. I've heard that there's some different formats from tournaments. I was talking to our friend Vinny, and he said he participated in a a tournament where everyone bought one deck. What they did was they looked at every single deck, they splayed them all out, everyone got a chance to individually look at everything, and then they bid with this in-game currency called Chains. Chains will shorten your hand size, and everyone bid on certain decks, paying Chain. And then they used these decks to try to see who would win the tournament. And that seems really, really, really fun for me because I can just get me and my friend who's slightly interested in this game. We both bring 20 bucks to an evening and we both leave with two decks and a fun little tournament. Compare that to tournament magic cards or magic decks. I did Google earlier today some tournament meta percentage decks, pretty much every single one of them was about 300 plus dollars. Yeah, I think one 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 danger that you have of looking here is that you have to be careful to not lump all magic into into the tournament scene. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure there's other tournament scenes that are that. And I'm sure there will be heart um, key forge tournament scenes that will have the same level of rigor. Sure. We'll just, we'll have to see, cause it's still a new product. They don't know how they're going to level, level the playing field. They don't know how they're going to actually put together the tournament stand. We have to wait and see that. But from at least a tournament to tournament standpoint, Keyforge seems to be so much more affordable. But I also wonder how sticky it's going to be. Like, it might be affordable because people buy three decks and play it out and kind of go, oh, I've sort of seen all this game has to offer, and they just sort of roll out of it. That's a real concern that I have about the longevity is how sticky is this going to be? Is this game going to be for people six months down the road? Sure, there'll be tournament players that will attend events and jump into the decks. But, you know, there'll also be a lot of people that, you know, buy your three or four decks and play it a few times and kind of go, well, you know, all the decks are not that different from each other. So do I really want to go out and buy eight more decks with the hope that they'll be 20% different? I don't see it happening. Uh, sure, if you will, but I don't see this being a mass thing that's going to occur. Right. But I think you're equating Magic the Gathering's ubiquity on the secondary market to Magic the Gathering's ubiquity as a commercial card printing Wizards of the Coast thing. So yeah, Black Lotuses go for $18,000. Magic the Gathering or Wizards of the Coast isn't making no, a dollar sure. of that. But there, just from a just from a player and a collector percentage perspective, there's always something new to do. Though there's, you know, thousands of cards out there. There's I, I can construct any deck in any way of a million different ways. Which I, I get it. Yeah, you not everybody. Not everybody's yeah, into you that. Can do but homework. that's, um, you know, people. You, like you can go to the store and buy a table, or you can work in your shop and build a table. And some people enjoy the challenge of building their own table. Not everybody does. And magic has a lot of the same thing that I personally enjoyed. And this is a me thing. I personally enjoyed making a contraption that I was going to lick my chops at being able to bring to the next time we play magic and to beat my friends over the head with it out of stuff they didn't see coming. I, you know, it was new. Ha ha ha. You didn't see that trick happening. And I'd, I'd wallop them with it. And that would last three or four plays. And then they'd know how to thwart that deck. And it would kind of be back to the status quo. The meta, the, the the group meta that developed with us in Warhammer 40k, but that exactly is going towards my point of I think Keyforge can be a better sell than we're giving it credit for. If you bring a friend, our entire game group, for example, all of us are very into board games. I don't think one person in our game group would actually agree to get into Magic the Gathering right now. For sure, now. no. For sure, no. I don't think you could even get anybody to agree to do a draft. And that's $15, right? I think you buy like five packs or something a person. Not expensive. What I'm saying is it's not an expensive evening. I can promise you almost everyone will feel comfortable 
getting into Keyforge and at least a small level of buying a deck or two. I think you need to differentiate width versus depth. That's that's what we're talking about here is that Keyforge is a width product. It will appeal to a wide variety of people that don't want to that have no desire to get in very deeply. And for those that want to get in deeply, I think it'll lack depth, whereas magic doesn't have the wide appeal for everybody, but it has near infinite depth. And so different strokes for different folks. Um, They say that, though, but I looked online and 15 percent of the turn. I mean, again, this is tournament magic, but 15 percent of the tournament magic decks were one deck. And we're not talking we're not talking a little different. The same deck. Yeah, that's that's at this moment in time. In three months, the in three months the scene rotates with a new set coming out. And right, that, but that's it, still that, it's still going to be fifteen percent of the deck will be this. The same fifteen percent of the people will switch to some other new deck. Uh, uh, well, okay. Again, I would bet less than five percent of Magic players play tournament Magic. So, <laughs> fair, tournament Magic fair, is a, fair. Is an it's just it's it's the best statistics I can right. get for it. You really can't judge Magic on the tournament scene. That that is a prominent bubble, but there's a awful lot more people that play it casually. That's fair, and I think that if that's who are going to play it, I think that's who Keyforge is after. They're after the people that are casual. They want to be into a CCG, but they don't want to keep up with card buying. However, my counterpoint to you saying the really deep people want to get into it, I would suspect that people will know what cards go together and they'll either be a FFG way to list it or a third party thing where people will be able to select filters and guarantee these, 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 and these cards will be in this deck. And they'll buy from some person who's selling it aftermarket for a higher cost. Sure. That's my guess is they'll say, okay, I know I want this, 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 and this card from these. And I want it to be these three factions. I know I want it to be this, this, and this. And then eight something decks will pop up. The person will click through, see which one they want to do and buy that. But another cool thing is even if we are talking about the top level tournament play, there's still all going to be different decks. No two decks are the exact same, which will make at least at the higher levels and the people that do get really into it, some sort of variance. Maybe they'll be playing the same archetypes, but not the same exact cards down the line. Sure. So to wrap up this conversation on on my end of the world here, um, ultimately, I, I would give it a six. It was a fine game. Um, I, I would play it again. You have to play it again. I, I think you'd like it a little more. And I also want you to buy your own deck. No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, can I buy you a deck? <laughs> you can buy me a deck and I'll play it a couple of Got times. It. And I'll move on to other games because I never play anything more than twice. But... Um, <laughs> But, but, you know, it was a six. It was fine. I and this is a me thing, but I always I never liked playing pre-constructs in the magic world. Why? Because it felt like I was driving somebody else's car or, you know, accompanying somebody else's wife on a date. It was it wasn't mine. It wasn't yours. Yeah, it wasn't mine. I, there was no pride of ownership to that. I literally was just piloting somebody else's deck. So if I'd be at a friend's house and they'd want to play magic and I didn't have my cards with them and I'd play one of their decks, it was fine, but it was nowhere near as satisfying as winning with one of my decks that I created. And Keyforge was missing that for me. It's I, I wasn't playing something I created and therefore the, the win was more superficial. Got it. And then to wrap up my thoughts on it, I don't know yet. <laughs> it's so new for pretty much every reason that you prefer magic is every single reason that I don't want to get into magic. A lot of my job is gathering weird information for weird from weird places and putting that together and presenting it to somebody. I sell food ingredients. I have to pull up all this technical information and give it to somebody and it's all separated out. And for some weird reason, browsing on the computer about what cards are going to work together for me and make the right recipe is just so tedious. I just want to play the game. Even when I was into Hearthstone, I would never, ever construct my own deck. I had one or two that might be variations on something, but I'd usually just say, top decks, this one's cheap, plug it in. I want to play a game. I don't want to research a game. I don't have a defined group that we're going to play this game with. I don't think I don't think there's going to be a meta. I don't think I'll miss that. I'll see. I think a good way to answer this is in three months, if people are still interested in it what it's going to be like. That being said, I did just buy special components for it, and I think it's going to be fun. I'm excited to play it more. 
Excellent. Well, and like I said, I'll I'll still give it another whirl. Um, you know, I didn't hate it, but nor did I love it. But hey, I'll certainly give it another whirl. Absolutely. All right. Well, in closing, we've been the gaming moguls. You can find us at Instagram at gaming moguls. That's our handle. Um, you can find us on email. Me, I'm Jake at gamingmoguls.com, and Mark is Mark at gamingmoguls.com. This has been Jake Kloppenstein and Mark Teske. Hope you have a good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.